Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. All right. Hey, everyone. This is one of our question dissections brought to you by DaVinci Academy and Inside the Boards. Check DaVinci Academy at dviacademy.com where you can find the video to this episode. And as always, thanks for listening. I've mentioned uh, repeatedly that we are revamping and almost relaunching Inside the Boards as a platform or, or project or business if you want to uh, pick your term. So expect to see a lot more coming from ITB. Uh, go sign up for an ITB premium uh, subscription or a free subscription on our mobile app um, just to stay apprised of everything that we're doing. Uh, again, uh, really appreciate you listening. And if you find ITB valuable, you know how it goes with podcasts. Tell your friends, leave a review, please. I'd super appreciate that. Um, and reach out by email if there's anything we can do to help you or you would like to get involved. Info at insidetheboards.com, helping your fellow students get inside the boards. Thanks for listening. Here is our question dissections pathology case. Welcome back to another case from Da Vinci Cases Inside the Boards Edition. I'm Maxwell Cooper from Da Vinci Academy with Patrick Beeman from Inside the Boards, and we'll be taking you through this third pathology case today. We'll start out with just reading the question first. So the question is asking, which of the following serum lab values is most likely to be elevated in this patient? Um, so you want to keep that in mind and thinking about what specific lab values might be elevated in this particular case. So the case starts with a 33-year-old woman. So she's a reproductive age woman who is G2P2. So she's had two successful pregnancies and then no significant past medical history, presenting a clinic stating she has not experienced her period in seven months. She has also been experiencing intermittent headaches and frequent episodes of bilateral milky breast discharge during the same time period. So this is you know, something that's been going on for a good amount of time. It's not something that just started yesterday, not experiencing her period. And then she's also having this bilateral milky breast discharge as well. She is not breastfeeding and then does not take any medications. Her only sexual partner is her husband who had a vasectomy one year ago. So that's important to note that if this is her only uh, sexual partner, it's very unlikely that she is pregnant because he had a vasectomy beyond the point of time when this all started. So the vitals are within normal limits. Physical exam is unremarkable. And again, the question is, which of the following serum lab values is most likely to be elevated in this patient? And the answer choices are beta human chorionic gonadotropin, follicle stimulating hormone, prolactin, and estrogen. So looking at this, yes, um, some key findings to note. Age, you point out reproductive age woman, um, history of successful pregnancies, which rules out a few different types of infertility. The amenorrhea of seven months duration shows that this is a, a longer term chronic thing. Any amenorrhea in a sub 40 year old woman needs investigated for primary ovarian insufficiency or primary ovarian failure. Um, it's not normal to have menopause, uh, if you will, which is defined as one year without a period, but um, premature menopause 
should be thought of as prior to age 40. Average age is 51, but we'll get into that, I'm sure, at some other point. Um, the headaches and galactorrhea are also significantly notable as well. So physical exam is unremarkable, I would say, is a pertinent positive because uh, we'll see here that there are some physical exam findings with uh, her diagnosis that are worth keeping in mind. Moving on to which of the following serum lab values is most likely to be elevated in this patient. A is beta-human chorionic gonadotropin, B, follicle-stimulating hormone, C, prolactin, and D, estrogen. And the correct answer here is prolactin. So her prolactin is going to be elevated, most likely. Let's go over some of the endocrinology behind this, and then we'll come back and, and go through the answer choices and explain why, why that's the right answer. And hopefully doing this also will help elucidate that as well. So again, you know, with pituitary regulation, you have the hypothalamus, which regulates both the anterior and posterior pituitary, which each secrete their own set of hormones. So the anterior pituitary secretes a number of hormones, which uh, can be remembered by the mnemonic flat pig without an eye. So you have FSH, follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, LH, adrenocorticotropin hormone, thyroid stimulating hormone, prolactin and growth hormone. And then on the posterior pituitary, there's only two you have to remember, antidiuretic hormone or ADH and then oxytocin. Sorry to interrupt, but let me add just uh, remember ADH also sometimes called vasopressin. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So the other thing to remember with, with these is that there's, you know, a complex interplay of feedback inhibition and stimulation and, and these different mechanisms. So you want to keep these straight. So we'll go through these here. So remember with the ones we want to focus on here are mainly FSH, LH, prolactin, and estrogen, which are kind of the, you know, kind of the main players, if you will, in the female reproductive endocrinology aspects. So you have hypothalamus, which secretes GnRH, which is going to trap and releasing hormone, which then goes on to stimulate the anterior pituitary to release FSH and LH, which then go down. Collectively called the gonadotropins. Yes. Yes. Which then go to stimulate the ovaries, which do a number of things, but one of those is to secrete estrogen. And then estrogen obviously is, you know, a main driver in many of the different functions of the female reproductive system. And then if you remember, estrogen kind of serves as a feedback inhibition loop and actually comes back and both inhibits GnRH release from the hypothalamus and FSH and LH release from the anterior pituitary gland. Now on the other side, the anterior pituitary also releases prolactin. And that actually goes on to stimulate breast tissue and it stimulates uh, milk production and Obviously, the prolactin is often increased during pregnancy and especially during breastfeeding. And if you remember, this is kind of a unique regulation, though, with the hypothalamus. So usually, the hypothalamus is secreting molecules that stimulate the anterior pituitary. In prolactin's case, that's actually reversed. It secretes dopamine, and dopamine actually inhibits prolactin release. So that's you got to keep that because the boards likes to ask about that. It's kind of a different and, and can easily trip people up if they don't keep that straight. So. The other thing to remember is prolactin actually also goes back and negatively inhibits the hypothalamus from releasing gonadotropin releasing hormone. In this case, what you want to remember is that what this patient has is a prolactinoma, which is an anterior pituitary tumor, which secretes high levels of prolactin. And so if you have increased levels of prolactin, you're going to stimulate the breast tissue and that's how we get galactorrhea. The other thing though, is that prolactin is going to 
feedback inhibit on the hypothalamus and decrease GnRH release from the hypothalamus, which then in turn will decrease release of FSH and LH from the anterior pituitary and also decrease estrogen release as well. And by decreasing estrogen production, that's how you get this secondary amenorrhea. So with all of that in mind, we'll come back to the answer choices here and kind of go through these different hormones and why the only one of, of this group that's elevated in this case is prolactin. Yes. So, um, I love this. I, uh, as many of you know, am an OBGYN and, and Max is a resident. So I may have to do a little bit of pimping here. All right, but I'll throw you some softballs because <laughs> Max is a radiology resident. So I, I'm sure that you uh, try to stop at the bare minimum of endocrinology you have to know. Okay, so first choice, beta-human chorionic gonadotropin or HCG for short. So a few things why we can rule out this being elevated um, as the most likely elevation. Max, you've mentioned it before, probably the most common cause of amenorrhea without considering anything else in a reproductive age woman is pregnancy. That is correct. <laughs> pregnancy. So amenorrhea always is going to need an HCG part of the workup. Pretty much any reproductive age woman who presents in an OBGYN context should get an HCG just because pregnancy can do things like cause galacteria, headaches can increase in pregnancy, and certainly, of course, causes amenorrhea, even if, well, I won't get into that. Although, you know, there are pathologic states in pregnancy that cause bleeding. So what makes us rule out beta-human chorionic gonadotropin as the most likely elevated in this? If we said that the most common cause of amenorrhea in a reproductive age woman is pregnancy, which is a state of human chorionic gonadotropin excess. I would say this constellation of symptoms is the thing that most likely makes us want to pause or cross out beta-human chorionic gonadotropin as the most likely elevated because she's experiencing a, a classic presentation of amenorrhea with headaches and galacteria, which you should really group in your mind together as a prolactinoma or hyperprolactin state. The other supporting evidence is that the patient's only sexual partner had a vasectomy a year ago. That is a time frame that allows any spermatic reserve um, post vasectomy to to be depleted. They usually recommend uh, about three months, if I recall, prior to relying on a vasectomy for birth control. So we're outside that window. Um, side note: people are always worried that the USMLE question writers, the NBME, and the osteopathic uh, NBOME might be trying to trick you. I would say take information as given. If her only sexual partner is her husband, who had a vasectomy a year ago, you can rely on that information. If it's more fluid and it's the patient reports or some more doubtful way of putting that, 
I still, I think, would would rely on uh, what is given as as the information in your exams, even though in real life patients can be reluctant to share information that could be considered embarrassing. So side note over. Next answer choice is follicle stimulating hormone. So with uh, FSH being increased, you know, you can get pituitary adenomas that secrete FSH by itself, but that's, that's rare. It tends to be uh, prolactin as the most likely pituitary functional tumor. With an FSH, uh, actually, I think on this slide, you're trying to show that in the event of a prolactinoma or hyperprolactin state, you get negative feedback, which decreases GnRH, the hormone that is responsible for stimulating or increasing the gonadotropins, hence its name, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, FSH and LH being those two uh, hormones. And if those decrease, less is coming from the pituitary and the end result is, among other things, a decrease in estrogen synthesis in the ovary, and you'd uh, see a, a decrease, most likely, in the serum lab measurement of estrogen. I suppose it is uh, worth mentioning that if you're doing an endocrine question, the, the way to approach these is to think about primarily first the abnormal hormone situation instead of trying to deal with you know the the whole pathway in its normal state i would be like okay increase prolactin what are all the effects that and and i like how you wrote this down here with the up down arrows as uh, appropriate with endocrine questions if you think what is an increased FSH, like let's say you were stuck on that in this instance, you would most likely see an increase in estrogen. But one case that is worth noting is that if the problem hormone is a lack of estrogen, as is the case in menopause, the anterior pituitary is going to be trying to stimulate estrogen because it's not getting any negative feedback. And so in the case of menopause, you would see an increase in FSH. Um, hopefully that's helpful. Next, we are moving on to prolactin. Uh, what else to note about prolactinomas? So prolactinoma, hyperprolactinemic state. Um, as I mentioned before, this is going to uh, stimulate the mammary glands to produce breast milk, which is why you get this uh, galacteria. It can be unilateral or bilateral, but I think on the boards, you're probably most likely going to see a uh, general bilateral picture. So you've got increased prolactin is going to decrease or feed back to decrease gonadotropins and in turn decrease the production of ovarian hormones. Remember, OBGYNs, endocrinologists think of this as the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So all of these things together in interplay. 
Prolactinomas being a pituitary adenoma can exert a mass effect. Uh, it's worth noting that there are two types of prolactinomas distinguished. The micro version, which are defined as one centimeter or less, and then the uh, macro version, which are greater than that. When you get a macro or a larger tumor, this is a situation where you're most likely going to get those sorts of things that are a result of mass effects like headache, right? There's only so much space in the cranium. And importantly, and this can be kind of a dead ringer for these cases, and I mentioned before some physical exam findings that are notable in hyperprolactinemic states or when you have a prolactinoma, and namely that's visual changes in the form of a bilateral temporal hemianopia or hemianopsia I've heard before. So essentially what is that? Well, the optic chiasm when it's compressed, the fibers there that cross and are responsible for your temporal visual field, the you know more peripheral, they get interrupted and so you're left with kind of a tunnel vision or a narrowed visual field. I think those were all great points. You nailed it with the uh, visual field defect. Um, I think the other way people may describe that is sometimes the patients will come in and say that it could be as simple as vision changes, or I've seen things where like, you know, people lose their peripheral vision. Um, so sometimes the question writers may try to describe that to you in kind of a less obvious way. So just keep that in mind. And then obviously Usually if there's the exam component included, that will be included on there as well. And then obviously the headaches, headaches can be, you know, we, there's a long list of differential, but when you, you know, put the whole picture together, it makes sense that when a patient has a, like Patrick mentioned, a tumor growing the pituitary, you can get uh, some mass effect and cause headaches in that regard as well. So again, it's all about, as Patrick's been pointing out here, it's all about putting the whole picture together. And then our final answer choice, D, was estrogen. So in the case of uh, hyperprolactinemia, what happens to estrogen? Well, again, it's a situation where you have increased prolactin inhibiting gonadotropin-releasing hormone from the hypothalamus, which in turn decreases the gonadotropins, and you get ultimately a lack of stimulation of the ovaries, which results in decreased estrogen. The only thing I would mention here is what does a hyperestrogen uh, state look like? If you have too much estrogen, you see this in, for instance, PCOS. You can get some of the findings noted in this case, like abnormal uterine bleeding. But uh, PCOS, probably the most common hyperestrogen state, which is a result of a hyperandrogen state, because in the periphery, you get estrogen or aromatization of your androgens turning into weaker estrogens, which in turn will stimulate the endometrial tissue, which is important because in these sorts of unopposed estrogen states, you're at an increased risk, notably of endometrial hyperplasia or cancer. I mean, you can also get hyperestrogen from taking it you know, exogenously, um, which is why people will say, you need to have progesterone on board when giving people estrogen who still have a uterus 
not a big deal to give estrogen alone in like post perimenopausal states if a person doesn't have a uterus. Um, you can also have functional tumors or like a granulosa cell tumors, other um, oncologic problems that will produce uh, high estrogen, but it's probably worth mentioning at a, a different time. I think Patrick hit most of it. I think it's just putting the whole picture together. You know, you see reproductive age women coming in with bilateral milky discharge from the breasts. And then you have, you know, obviously you always want to be thinking about pregnancy. This, in this case, we gave you that the husband had the vasectomy a year ago. And like Patrick said, in real life, it's a completely different story. But when it comes to the question on the SMLE or on your med school exams, you want to just take it kind of as is. Um, again, they're not, the question writer is not trying to trick you and you kind of have to take it at face value. So again, you could kind of rule out pregnancy. The other thing is in the real world, in the office, they're going to do a pregnancy test anyways. And so you know, where, you know, right away, whether or not that is the case or whether you have elevated beta HCG or not. The other thing is that, you know, again, the prolactinomas, you want to keep in mind these, you know, visual field defects that we talked about. And then again, I think I'll just reiterate what Patrick said with when it comes to endocrinology and just in general, it's all about reaction. You know, you want to think about with each of these choices, what are they increase or decrease in reaction to what Patrick gave you a lot of good reasons as to why each of these would be elevated in certain scenarios. And the one that fits best with this scenario is prolactin. That's all we've got for you on this one, guys. Um, you can, you can watch the video on the DaVinci Academy YouTube channel, youtube.com slash DaVinci Academy med. And then obviously you can listen to the audio on the inside the boards platform or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy studying. Mm -hmm.